take a second and just introduce yourself. Uh, we have some visitors here today, so they know who you are and what your ministry position is. Sure. My, my name's uh, Ralph Johnson. I'm the administrative pastor, the executive pastor here, and pretty much what that means is these guys go out and they dream it all up and they bring me the bill. And we had to figure out how we're going to pay for it. And um, so that's that's kind of the challenge sometimes, but uh, but I tell you, it's, uh, it, it's a joy. So that's pretty much my role here. Uh, my name is Brandon Allen. I'm the youth and college pastor here. And so uh, my job is to deal with bad kids all day and uh, attempt to um, pour into college students. And so um, that's what I do. All right. I'm Pastor Brad. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Family of Grace. And uh, my job is to dream it and figure out how to build. They figure out how to build. Uh, my name is TJ Harkness. I'm the family pastor here. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I do. No, <laughs> My name is Ashley Mack, and I am the uh, executive ministry coordinator here. Basically, means I do everything but preach. <laughs> All right, good deal. Amen. <laughs> and we're so blessed uh, to have this team surrounding us, with many other part of our team, but these guys are on the front lines every week. Uh, one of the questions that was asked uh, to us is, "Why now?" Why are we having this conversation now? Um, you know, why didn't we do this when the nightclub was exploded in Florida? Uh, that was a question that you know was asked, and um, and so why now, Brandon? Would you share with us from your perspective why why the timing is now to have this family dialogue? Pastor Brad kind of touched on it earlier, but this incident tears at the very fabric of um, who our church is or what our church is becoming. And so um, a perfect example of that, uh, there's a picture that will pop up in a minute, but <clears throat> as you can tell by my, my lack of voice that we just got back from youth camp last week, um, last, yesterday actually. And so um, what, what ended up happening is if you look at this, this picture, uh, this youth group um, is the one here if you're new. And so if you look at it um, and just be completely honest with yourself, you'll realize that there are a lot of black people, there's a lot of white people, and one Mexican in the front. And so uh, that's our prize Mexican, by the way. His name's Antonio. We're working on that next. But um, like this group um, is probably, or it is, the most diverse part of our church. And so like this, you look at that group, we're missing about seven or eight other core people who couldn't make camp. But like this is what our church is supposed to look like. That's what we strive for. So um, while we were gone last week, uh, we left and arrived Tuesday. And we, you know, we're gone to last night or yesterday afternoon. Um, everything happened while we were gone. And so the scariest thing for me was like I was out finding out little snippets because the cell phone reception was horrible where we were. You know, what the heck happened Tuesday in Baton Rouge, um, then Wednesday um, in Minnesota, and then, you know, Thursday all the shootings and stuff happened. And so, man, like it scared me to the core because I was like, man, like these kids, they get it. Like we talked. Uh, Friday night after an amazing week of camp, man, God really broke down a lot of them spiritually. And so they grew to another level spiritually together. And um, so Friday we had like a, we have church time every night. And so around 10 o'clock, we just sat in a circle. And uh, for the first time ever, I asked them, like, what, what do you, why do you like, you know, this this youth group? Like, what, you come because your parents make you. Um, a lot of them, their parents don't come. They just come willingly every week. And so I began to ask them these questions. And they began to give me answers like, man, like, Brandon, you know, we realize that our youth group is very different, okay? 
they're like, but the thing is, we become one big huge family. And so what they realize is other youth groups, they see it. that You know, they might have people who, you know, they might have a, a white youth group that might have a few black people in it or vice versa or we're in Texas and they have a lot of Hispanic churches there. You know, they might have a few people, but they don't mingle and they don't mix the way we do. And so they, you have pockets everywhere. If you look at our group, if you watch them interact, man, each one of them loves each other. And, um, like, our kids, we have kids that live on the most dangerous street in Louisiana, I mean, in, in Alexandria, all the way, you know, some might live in a nicer neighborhood or in the country, whatever it may be. But when they love on each other, man, it doesn't matter where they come from, they love each other. And so um, they get, man, there's a family. And the beautiful picture about this is, uh, uh, I want to say it was Thursday, uh, or it was Friday, um, around 7 or 8 o'clock that night, we were uh, doing communion or whatever, and, um, and we had to go outside and kind of get ourselves right with God and get right with other people. And so a lot of our kids kind of stepped up and encouraged each other and loved on each other. Some of them made phone calls, phone calls home to, you know, ask parents for forgiveness about hatred and things like that. And so when we finished up, man, it was just funny because you see our kids in the middle of this big, huge field. They're like having this group hug going. It's like all of them are sitting in this group hug. And so you got these other churches, which is, I mean, it's normal to us now. Just looking at it like we're crazy. You know, like we're in the middle of this field hugging each other. You know, I'm talking to them, laughing with them. And then, like, so our kids, being as ignorant on fire as we are, they, you know, they look and say, hey, y'all want to come join in? And, you know, and we got kids from, like, all over these other camps. So we got, like, you know, about 50 kids in a, in a circle hugging on each other. And, like, but the beautiful thing about that is, like, no matter what other church was there, we had kids that were able to relate to each of them. If they were poor and black, we had kids that understood that. If they were white and come from the suburbs, we had kids understand that. And when they looked at our youth group, when you look at our youth group, we're the – we're the, the hope that says it's possible. Um, even though it may be hard and it, it is annoying at times and very frustrating, when you look at our kids, they say it's possible. And so when we see the hope and the, the, the result of what it happens, when things like this happen at the core of our, you know, of our, of our country, we have to jump on it because if not, then we're gonna, it's going to quickly unravel everything we work towards. And so, um, so definitely just, man, we want to get ahead of this thing. And like he says, the church does a very – Horrible job overall of being very reactive to stuff. Um, I remember when the whole gay marriage thing happened. Uh, nobody was in front of it, but everybody had an opinion after it happened. And so now we want to make sure that, okay, we want to be dead smack in the middle of it, locking arms, ready to roll before it gets to that point. We don't want to be, you know, back in segregation days and five years from now and then start to complain about everything. And if everybody would just prayed and did this, would have been fine. Well, we should have did it when we had the opportunity. And so that's what we want to do now. As a church, just get up here and lay it all out on the line, um, share our hearts, and just show you, like, look, we want this thing to work. So, and so when you look at that picture, the question for why now is because these kids are a picture of of multi ethnic, multi multi cultural, multi economical. I mean, they have broken all of these barriers, and what's happening this week is literally tearing at the core of that. Because we go home, and you you have to go back to your family, and this is one of the questions later that somebody asked. And when you go back to your family and your family didn't experience what you experienced and they don't understand your church, that it's not just tolerating, but celebrating. That we don't just accommodate diversity, but we, we celebrate the diversity. And that, that uh, sameness doesn't mean oneness. You know? and, and so when you think about that, that, we can come together and really make a difference. And so what's happening in our country right now is pulling different groups of people, everybody's platforms. Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. I mean, it's, it's, it's pulling us all these different directions. And as a church, if we don't, God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
and we want to have that conversation and be able to help our children understand that. Brandon, thank you for that answer. Another question was, uh, why does God allow this? Somebody asked us that. Why didn't God stop this? You know, I mean, if he's a loving God, why didn't he stop it? You ever heard that question? You ever heard that? You might have been thinking it yourself this week. Pastor Ralph, why don't you take that one for me? Sure. You see all these guys got their smart devices? I got a smart device right here. Uh, you got to be smart, Alex. King James Version 2. KJV, baby. Come on, let us, help him. <laughs> let us help you hold that big thing. That's all right. That's all right. Why does God allow this? Why didn't God stop this? Why, 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 why is this even possible? I mean, why, you know, as we look around, and, you know, we're not the first people to ever ask that question. Uh, we're not the first people to ever experience things like we're experiencing now. Uh, I want to share a, a verse with you or, uh, found in Isaiah 45 in, in verse 7. Uh, it says that uh, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Does that mean that, that God made these evil things happen? No, let, let me tell you what this means. What this means is that God created an environment where it is possible for evil to exist. Now, now, why would God do that? You remember God created Lucifer, made him per He was the perfect creation, and then he began to say, what? I will. He began to put himself above God. Uh, you know that you know the story. God kicked him out of heaven, uh, and and he became not Lucifer anymore, but he became Satan. And then God said, "I still have a plan." And so He created a perfect environment uh, in the earth, and He created a man and placed him in that perfect environment. Gave him one command uh, to leave one tree alone, and he couldn't keep that one command. So, so when we read this and we see. That, and we ask the question, why does God allow this? Why, why didn't God stop this? Why, why actually do, do these evil things happen, not just in America, but all over the world? And, and, and so here's, here's the answer. If God had, had not created an environment where evil could exist, then good would not be good, would it? If God did not create an environment where there was the opportunity not to love, then there would be no real love, would there? You see, God could have created us as machines. He could have created us as robots. He could have created us to where we had no, uh, no option but to be obedient to Him or to love Him, but that would not be real love. And so, the short answer is, why do these things happen? Well, we know the short answer is, is sin, of course, because of the hardness of our hearts, because of the evil. And, and so, we've been asked, why, why doesn't God do something about this? Well, let me tell you, God did do something about this. About 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to take your sin and mine. And he reconciled us to himself in order that we might have the ministry of reconciliation today. 
Why doesn't God do something about it? He already has, and I'm here to tell you that He's going to. He's going to again because we're only looking at a little snapshot. God sees, look, time is nothing but a a little parenthesis. And one day, Christ is coming back. And Christ is going to level the field. He's going to even the score. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to He's going to justify all the injustices. So why didn't God do something about it? He already has. But here's the thing. Until that time comes when Jesus comes back and He makes it all back like God intended for it to be from the beginning, you and I have a responsibility to do something. And that's what we want to do as a church. Not sit down. Uh, thank you, Pastor Ralph. And that is a hard question to ask, uh, to answer, because as God's given us our desires and our will, and people are broken and they're hurting and they're seeking for relief and they're they're trying to vindicate things themselves, and we have to realize that God is the great vindicator, and it makes it very difficult. And so, when we begin to think about that, another question that somebody asked was, why is the conversation about racial issues just so hard to have? And that really is true because. As some of you, as we are in this blended family, uh, you're going back to your circle of influence or your family, and you're trying to have these conversations, and you're finding them to be very difficult. And so I was talking to Ashley about this, and Ashley, share with us why you feel these uh, conversations are so difficult to have. Um, One point of view as to why these conversations are so difficult is because it causes you to be transparent. It causes you to have to get to know somebody that you wouldn't necessarily hang out with. It forces you to become uncomfortable. It forces you to have to open yourself up to examination and exposure. It forces you to have to get real with someone else. Um, they're not easy. It's They usually, sometimes they end really badly. Sometimes they end really well. You know, sometimes you you created a bridge and other times you wonder why in the world did I talk to that person. But for us to gain understanding and for us to gain insight and for us to begin to unify and heal, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. We have to get real. We have to get intimate with each other in order to progress, in order to move forward, in order to change and leave a mark on this city. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. And one of the reasons is it's just... It's so hard, as she said, to be that transparent. And and we have a natural propensity to want to make the other person understand. Like if, if, if someone of the other race uh, says something, then we feel like we need to defend what they don't understand. Instead of just saying, help me understand why you think that. You know, if it's dealing with systemic racism or things of that issue, and you're saying, instead of saying, help me understand that, our natural response is, well, it's hard to be a white guy. Let me tell you what happened to me. And so we go into this natural defense, and what we end up doing is debating each other on who has it the worst. And so when you try to go into those conversations, if you will just really seek to understand, what if the person left that conversation and didn't understand one thing about you, but you understood them in a whole new level? Would that be a win? That would be a win. 
And so as we begin to gather and do life together, we must really begin to seek to understand and be uncomfortable. Uh, man, we preached this whole series on the uncomfortable gospel. Go listen to it again. To put yourself out there and live uncomfortably and to be transparent with somebody that you were told not to do life with is very uncomfortable, isn't it? But if we're going to change this city, we got to change it as people. Brandon said it best. It's amazing how all these big churches, I mean churches of a couple thousand members, it's amazing how our youth group, all those other youth groups migrate to them. Because what's happening is they see in them something that's different. Not just the color of their skin, but the reacting to one another. Like, how can these people be ethnically so different but react the same? You know, and so it's, it's a whole different whole different level and I want to just thank you right here for helping get some of those kids to church I mean some of those kids it was in that picture would not have been there had you not helped help get them there so thank you for believing in that another question that we had was you know there's this protest uh, over when an african-american any injustice for an african-american uh, like the two guys that were killed this week you know one has people debating you know was the cops uh, was they was it okay for them to have killed that guy? Did they use too much force? And there's this debate. And that debate has been the debate that has really waged over a lot of the uh, injustice that seems to be prevailing in that. And, you know, and they go to court and they, they you know, the verdicts come back and, and, and people say, well, I don't agree with that verdict and this and that. But then there's the things like that happened in Minnesota. And it just really has people from every group just scratching their heads and just leaves people speechless how that could have happened. And uh, so as we begin to work through that, a question that comes from some people was, well, where's the same outcry for the five police officers that were shot? You know, so people take to the streets and there's the protest. And so where, where's the same outcry with that? And, and how, does, how does that look different in, in these things uh, shaping up? And so as we look at that today, it looks differently, uh, you know, but it's there. You know, and I think that's one of the greatest struggles. I think Pastor Brad is, is, is exactly right. The, the outrage, the protests, the feelings, the animosity, the whatever, you know, you, you fill in the blank there. It's there. It just looks different. And is that right? Probably not. Is that wrong? No. But it, it looks different. Um, social media is something that, you know, look, I, I was born in 1984, okay? That's the last year of Generation X and the first year of the Millennials. So I'm kind of a hybrid, okay? My generation kind of created MySpace, and that didn't take off. And then the next generation created Facebook, and that's absolutely taken off. And social media can be used to do a lot of great things, but social media also gives people a platform that probably shouldn't have a platform. Social media has created an environment that makes people their own leader. So we asked the question in the meeting that we had uh, as a staff over the last couple of days is, well, who is the next Billy Graham or the next Martin Luther King Jr. or the next uh, great leader that's going to stand up and, and rally us together for a cause, for a purpose, for peace and, and togetherness and unity? And the sad truth is, is we don't have that leader because social media makes you your own leader. You can say on social media right now as I'm speaking something that you would not say to my face. And that can be a terrible thing. Media is also something that is a blessing. Gets the word out. But unfortunately, 
if you're not in charge of the media broadcast association or whatever the case may be, you don't get to control what goes out there on, on, on TV. And, you know, just as much as we can say sex sells, you know, if it's not sexy, you're not going to see it on TV. Well, the same case here. If there's not a car being blown up, then you're not going to see it because the media doesn't want you to see that. And that's a sad reality. Um, the silent majority doesn't, hasn't taken the initiative to say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God's saying to me. And this is what God wants me to do about it. Even, even some of you are struggling today because a couple of the questions are, have come out is, you know, Black Lives Matter started to try to be a voice where there was no voice, where there was no Martin Luther King, where there was no leader still leading in the civil rights movement and trying to just have a voice for African Americans that they felt like were suffering injustice. And as a result of that, um, it just began to be completely so overwhelming. And, and now, you know, in this movement, so many anti-things are coming out that people's like, well, where do I go to? And so this really leads into, we, not, we may not be able to make a difference in Dallas. We may not be able to make a difference in Minnesota, but we can make a difference right here. You know, I don't have, I told him in the early service, the DA doesn't know me. I've been trying to get a call back from him for quite a while uh, on something. I, I can't get that. For years, I've been trying to get the mayor to call me. I don't know the mayor. He thinks I'm a nobody. He won't call me back. But here's what I do know, that there was a young African-American boy in our city that was shot down just a few miles from the South Campus this week. There was no protest over him, you know, was left for dead. We can make a difference in that. You know, we've got some young people that we look at. Lewis, I was thinking a couple of years ago when we talked to a young man who was struggling with getting in a gang and now is one of the premier leaders in one of our in our youth group. You know, that's making a difference. We're making a difference, church. We're making a difference in the Hispanic community because every Wednesday there's about 15 to 20 who show up to learn how to speak English. That's making a difference. That's taking a lead. That's being on the cutting edge. We're making a difference because we're, we're teaching people who cannot read who's adults who cannot read. We're teaching them how to read, how to minister to them holistically. We're taking other people and, and, and who feel like they, they have nobody at home to help them. They may be latchkey latch children or their grandparents may be raising them and they, they don't have anybody to help them with this new math, God help us, uh, that they're teaching in the schools now. And on, on Wednesday nights during the school year, we have people who are volunteering their time to come invest that. Now that's making a difference. And we can unify. And the reason we're having this conversation today is because we're making a difference on Friday nights and on Tuesday nights with people who have substance abuse problems or struggling with depression or those things. We're making a difference with people who need help to learn to read for the first time. We're making a difference across cultural, ec economic, and all these barriers. We're making a difference. And if we're not careful, we will allow what took place this week to begin to view people differently. We will put back on our ethnic lenses and we will view everybody with that and we'll just say, you know what? It was easier the old way. This preacher's nuts. You call me your preacher. You call me your rev. You call me your pastor. You call me your padre. Whatever you want to call me, you can add nuts to the end of it and say, we're going back where it was safe. You know, some of you say, you've never had to have this kind of dialogue in your church in the past because everybody was like you. You know, and but for us, guys, we can leave a mark on this city, but we got to be the voice, not necessarily of a protest, but the voice of reason going out and making a difference in Alexandria. That's what we need. That's why we're having this moment as a family to rally us together to make that difference for the glory of God. I, I would interject a, a passage of scripture right there uh, 
Pastor Brad from Revelation 3. Um, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. Because, but, so because you were lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. I think it's, I think it's important for us that, uh, you know, something we discussed as a, as a staff is, you know, how can we find a way to express ourselves without attaching ourselves to a movement uh, or, or a platform? How can we express ourselves? How can we lead in the way that Pastor Brad just said and not get to the point of complacency or get to the point of, of being lukewarm and not standing out? And I think that's important for us to, to do because God wants us to be on one side or the other. You know, if we're, you know, he wants us to be hot or cold, and we need to be hot. We need to be on fire. We need to be passionate about what the Bible says, so that we can make a difference. Thank you, brother. And to think about it, that God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Going back to where we began, it's our responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. You realize God said, "King," you know. I think Brandon made a good point. We we read the Bible. We think it was wrote for the United States of America. We're just one country in this whole world. And this, the Bible was written for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived. It's an unchanging, it's settled law. And as we look at this, we understand that, man, it's so much bigger than that. And that God has committed to the church the ministry of reconciliation. The church the ministry of reconciliation. Why are we having this dialogue? Because it's our responsibility. He didn't say, I'm giving it to a government. I'm giving it to a king. I'm giving it to an imperial. I'm giving it to, to Congress. He said, I'm giving it to my church. That you're my ambassador. And you're going to go out there and speak up for me. Another question that we had was, uh, uh, and we don't have many more. Why is, is it, why if I support Black Lives Matter's movement, am I automatically anti-cop and anti-authority? And this is an interesting question because in the beginning of the Black Lives Matter's movement, it was a voice. People were trying to speak out a voice. I know you can debate this, and look, we can pull in all our statistics, okay? Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. Take off your cultural lenses and, and understand, seek to understand the other person. That the African-American community felt, man, this is our voice. They didn't have a Martin Luther King marching down the streets. We was on the, a conference call this week with a guy from Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, he led the Civil Rights Movement, wrote a part of the letters from the Birmingham jail, or to the Birmingham jail. And, uh, you know, what he was saying in there is that it's the church's responsibility to speak to this. And there's not that person leading in the streets and leading the charge and reining things in. And as a result of it, you know, African-Americans are struggling because they want to lend their support to the Black Lives Matter movement. But then when they're in the New York City and protest and kill cops, and then when there's a, a rally that was peaceful, that was successful, that was all of these things, uh, that that was orderly. You know what? People didn't even know. TJ made a good point of this. Most he's from Texas, God help him. But most all of his Facebook friends are from Texas, and he said, "I didn't even know there was a rally in Dallas going on until the shots started being fired." You know, and so these people are struggling with with that because now, how do I? I feel like if I let that go, if I let that go, uh, that I'm not being faithful to my race, and they're struggling with that. And we as a church have to rise up and help become the voice in our city. I told you already I'm a nobody. But I know somebody, and it's Jesus Christ. And he's given us the authority to go to this city and leave a mark. It's uncomfortable? Yes. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Or, look, my hair is turning white because it's so uncomfortable. You know, and as we lead through these perilous times, and so the, there is a major leadership vacuum, vacuum in this, in this world. And when there's a leadership vacuum, 
it's going to be absorbed by something. And we as the church in Alexandria need to start speaking to that leadership back there and seek influence. How do we influence this city more than how do we grow a church? Almost all churches are trying to say, how do we grow our church? How do we build a bigger building? How do we get more people? Not how do we leverage our influence to change the ghetto, to change the area of affluency, and to bridge those divides. Because I'm going to tell you, guys, if we don't get this figured out, Garrett, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And God has given us the authority to the church to do that. I thought about this, and some of you will be offended at this statement. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a warning, okay? But please come see me before you leave the church. Uh, if you cry at the funeral of black kids being shot, but you don't cry at the funeral of a police officer being shot, you become the thing you hate. And if you cry at the deaths of police officers, and you want to protest that, but you don't cry when an African-American and Hispanic that was shot by a cop, if you don't cry, when you read in our newspaper and saw on our news that there was a kid killed on William Street with about two miles from the South Campus, if that doesn't stir our heart, then we're becoming the thing that we hate. We need a gut check. We need to ask God, where do we start? Right here. God, break our hearts. Lord, break our hearts. Because it's our authority. We're the one. The Bible says that Jesus moved, was moved with compassion in the book of Matthew because he looked out there and he saw the people as sheep with no shepherd. You know what I just said? There's a leadership vacuum. You know, there's a leadership vacuum. Somebody has to rise up. I can't go in. I mean, I do. They think I'm crazy. You know, I remember one time I had this young boy that was a, was a drug dealer, and I took him on the bus with me when he first gave his heart to Christ, and he was on my route. And we got back to the church. He said, you're the craziest white man I know, and he's white. He said, dude, I know what happens on these streets at night, and you go in there as a preacher? Listen, if the preacher won't go there and the church won't go there, then what are we going to do? We have to rise up. We have to believe in our city. We have to believe in the mandate that God has given the church I want to speak to that today. We're having this meeting because what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say we have the luxury of pulling the race car. The Bible says there's only one God who's in all and through all and for all. There was only one color blood that was shed on the cross. And that guy on the cross, he wasn't black and he wasn't white. He's a Jew. But his blood was shed for the Jew and the Gentile and the Greek and everyone in between. And when you look at the early church, it was a multi-ethnic church. And God is committed to us, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, there must have been some hostility that had to be reconciled. You see, we want to end the churches, hold down our sail, and just sing kumbaya and make s'mores bars at our little youth events till we get to heaven. Lord, just, Lord, Lord, maybe we can hold out. Lord God, maybe you can hold out, and, and Lord, maybe in the last three seconds of this thing, you can kick a field goal and we can win by three. I mean, that's the mentality of the church. When God is calling us to rise up, and when people try to divide us racially, when people try to divide us culturally, that we say, "Don't, please, don't speak about them like that." You know, please don't, please don't say that. You know, and, and seek to understand them. What makes them say that? Probably because that's all they've been taught their whole life. It's all that they've been taught. All right, sorry, fellow sermonette. There, we're almost done. Here you go. So the, another question was, how do I handle confrontation in public, at work? When I walk up, and, and if, I, if, you're, if you're a Caucasian and you walk up and they're talking about the injustice that was done to these African-American kids or young adults, how do you handle that? 
or if you walk up and there's a group of of, of, of white guys or white ladies, you know, saying, I can't believe those Afri- that African-American guy killed these cops. What do you say? Well, in the past, we would go the other way, or we would just throw down the gauntlet and fight, I mean, verbally speaking. And, uh, you know, we would see who could debate the best. But that's not what we need to do. And Brandon and Ashley, I want you both to speak to this, on how do we handle conflict in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Culture five. TJ has coined a word, a word for us uh, during this time, and it is culture five. And He's what we Texas. mean, <laughs> he is from Texas. We're not claiming him. <laughs> but what we mean by that is, is the statement that we've made earlier: seek to understand and not be understood. Uh, be a peacemaker during that time. If there is situation, if, if the situation is escalating, be the de-escalator. Don't feed into the fire. Don't be fuel to that fire. Stand on God's word and speak um, speak to the authority that he's given you. Brandon? Give me the second. So as a staff, we did something wrong. We told Brandon we want to be transparent. He's gotten a little too far. You can't accept me how I am. Get out. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Um, Ashley... I think Ashley did a great job of, of saying that. But um, I, I think it just all leads back to what we say. And it's like, it's hard for me to identify with something I don't understand or I don't know. Um, I've been around people my whole life. The environment I grew up in, uh, my mom was blessed to have a very good job where her white boss pretty much said, hey, look, I trust you with my company and you run this thing. And so I never had the luxury as a, a young black kid to say, um, you can make an excuse for yourself and say that the white man is keeping you down your whole life. Um, some people don't come from that luxury. And I had family members who believed that. Um, I used to play baseball. And, like, if you don't know, it's more of a white sport than a black sport. And so when I grew up in Zachary, I'm the only black kid on the team. And so, like, all of my friends are white. And you didn't even realize until you saw the team picture three years later and you realized you're the only black person on the team. And so, like, what was able to happen was that I was able to see them um, away from other people. I said, before you tell me what I should think about that person, I'm going to see what, who that person is individually. And I think a lot of times what we do is uh, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so we say, okay, one cop in Minnesota shot this guy. Every cop is bad. Or uh, one black guy is a, you know, is a maybe uh, come from a broken home or maybe a gangster, maybe a thug, and uh, may have shot or robbed a white person. Now every black person is bad. And so what we do is we go into it, like Pastor Brad said, with our guns blazing. And so somebody says, I can't believe this happened. And now instead of us trying to defuse the situation, we automatically get offended and say, wait a minute, because now he's talking about me. Now, or that black person, wait, now you're saying all black people like this? Before now, before long, you're in front of your job, both of y'all getting fired because y'all being ignorant in front of everybody else. And so, like, we have to make sure, um, for one, I can't remember who said it first, like, might have been Mr. Brian yesterday, is like, do it in private. Like, if you have a problem, because... You get around people, we just escalate it, you know, because now you got to, your pride kicks in. You don't want to look like you're a chump. You just got defeated in front of all these people. And so now, you even if you don't agree with yourself, you're going to start making yourself believe it, and now you're going back and forth. And so the first thing you do is say, hey, look, I really don't agree with you, but I would love to talk to you about this. Let's go have lunch one day. Let's do something where I can hear your heart, you can hear my heart, and we can come to a middle, a middle agreement. And so that's the best thing you can do. Don't try to – if you try to be, you know, Captain – you know, save a race in three minutes, 
it ain't gonna happen. And so make sure y'all can laugh all you want. This is who I am. And so like just just make sure that you de-escalate the situation as best you can in a loving manner. And just remember that Jesus is at the center. And if you are doing this for yourself or for anybody else, you'll never come to a common ground. And so, um, you know, are you group is a perfect example. <laughs> I call us a motley crew. We all over the place. And sometimes we have nothing in common. Like me and Vic, I always make fun of She's my little country friend. Um, like we have probably nothing in common. But then when you put Jesus in the mix, now we got everything in common. And so even though I don't look like her or like the same music, she made me listen to a bunch of country songs on the way to uh, Texas yesterday or the other day. But, like, when you put Jesus in the middle, now I went from not having anything to talk to you about to now we can talk for all night long about who Jesus is and how broken I am, how broken you are, and how much of a Satan we, we both need a Savior. And now that's your brother, that's your sister, and I'll fight for them any day of the week just because I know that even though we're different, we all have this one thing in common, and that's what it needs to, it needs to come down to. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Ashley. One of the... One of the main things in that is, man, seek to understand. Un under first thing to understand is the facts don't matter. Facts are irrelevant. I mean, you can quote your statistics. I can quote mine. We can quote everybody else's. But it's irrelevant. It's what am I feeling is what people go on. That's what they make their decisions on. And if you decide to feel offended, seek to understand. what. Why does that person feel that way? Know the scripture. Be a peacemaker. Uh, and cultify yourself. And what does that mean? Read. Something besides social media. I mean, when you leave here, there's about five books that everybody in here ought to leave here reading. In fact, one of them we're going to do with our men and our women separately in the fall. But um, And it's uh, Right Color, Wrong Culture. And it's understanding that. The, the other thing is, uh, same kind of difference as me. Uh, some of you read that. Our men read that in the fall. Another one is, what difference do it make? And it's testimonies about what came out of that book. Another book that's phenomenal to read is Under Your Skin. Under Your Skin? Under Our Skin. Under Our Skin, Benjamin Watson. Phenomenal book. Another book is HD Leader. You know, being a multi-ethnic church. Like, learn something. You know, don't just sit there and look at TV. Read something. And try to learn about the person that you are prejudiced against. Try to understand what makes them tick. So thank you guys. That was a wonderful answer. Uh, a question that went along with that was a two-part question. We have two more questions, and that's it. So uh, bear with us. How do I lead my children through these issues and still protect them? We're going to give that to the family pastor. Well, I joke at the beginning about, you know, not knowing what, I, what it is that I do, but really, honestly, down to the truth of it is my heart is for the family. And, and I think that's why God has chosen me for this position is because, uh, you know, that is what my area of study is in. That's what my degree is in, is in Christian family counseling, the family unit. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I came from a broken home, lower to lower middle class broken home, where I saw a lot of stuff happen. I saw a lot of uh, uh, hate and bitterness. And, and, I, and I, I see now what the scripture says about those things. And I see now who my God is and how he has taken me from that to where I am here. And the main thing is, is that there are a lot of people in here that have children, and your first instinct is to take your children and isolate them from the situation. And to be honest with you, I was talking with my, my brother-in-law here now, and, and uh, we both were discussing the fact that, um, you know, our, our first instinct, our first inclination was, you know, how far away can I get from this? How far away can I get my children from this? And that's the worst thing that you can do for your children 
is to isolate them from this. I have a 10-year-old. I uh, just turned 10 a couple of days ago. Uh, I have one that's turning, a uh, daughter that's turning 6 next month, and I have a little boy that's going to be 2 this year. And my 10-year-old my and I, we sit down in the morning, and she knows that uh, she is not to ask for breakfast or anything until that coffee is, is, is that coffee mug is empty. So she asks for her own little cup of coffee milk, and we sit there and we watch the news. And she asked me a couple years ago, Daddy, why is the news so important? Why can't we watch cartoons? And now she says, Daddy, can we watch what's going on in the world? She loves with a big, tender heart. And it's because I have not isolated her from the situation, but yet taught her how to live in the situation. When she comes to me and says, Daddy, why did they do this? Or why is this happening? I feel like I have the responsibility to answer those questions and not not say what my parents said to me, when you're old enough, we'll talk about that. How frustrating is it when you're a child and your parents tell you, when you get older, you're too young, you're too little, you don't understand. Well, my 10-year-old understands a lot. And we have to go to the scripture, we have to pray with them, we have to immerse them in the culture and the society that we live in and the city that we live in to show them that in order for us to make an impact in the city, you have to understand the people in this city. You have to love them. You have to understand, seek to understand them. Not stand on a soapbox, not stand on a platform, but to say, we love them. How can we love them? God calls us to love them. God calls us to know what his word says. And God calls us to love our children by not isolating them from the situation. Yeah, thank you, brother. And one of the things on that is, that if, you not, if you don't isolate them, but that you pray for them. I mean, regardless of how you feel about whoever, whatever got happened, whatever, you know, Muslim attacked us, whatever person was killed unjustly, or that we pray, start praying for that. Teach your children how to pray and have compassion on them, and uh, so that God will bend their hearts towards being a world changer, and that they can make a difference for His glory. Thank you for that answer. Uh, so as we look at this, there's there's two la- two questions, two more questions. I know I told you two more while ago, but I'm going to put these two together. And we're going to wrap it up with this. The first question is, what will it take? What will it take to move from this point forward to get past and resolve historical and systemic perspective of the perspective of racial and cultural bias? That's a heavy one. It's going to take a leader. What led to integration? A leader. A leader. Who didn't lead with a gun. He didn't lead with bombs. He didn't lead with violence. But I'm telling you, I'm amazed that everything Martin Luther King led with was scriptural, scriptures, the word of God. I mean, when I see his quotes. I just stand in amaze at the quotes and the things that he said because I didn't learn that as a younger person. But he was passionate about it, and he led with his life cost him his life. And we have to be willing to not be sheltered. We have to be willing to lead with our life if need be in our city, at our workplace. Dude, not with your Bible beating everybody over the head or your your bias or your prejudice, but lead with the spirit that you are a peacemaker. Blessed, happy, and fortunate is what that word blessed means in the Greek, are the peacemakers. And we are the peacemakers because God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. That was the first part. And the last part is, how do we unify as a faith family to show the community 
what hope really looks like. And so as a faith family, I'm linking these together because we're going to take that one and run with it. And so here's some things that we feel like we want you to leave with. So write these down. I want you to find something, get your smart device out, uh, jot these couple of things down. Number one, I want you to build a relationship with somebody not like you. And I know it may be a lot to ask them over into your home, but you can meet them down at Starbucks. Or if you're a guy's guy and you feel like that's too feminine, then you can meet them down somewhere and get some ice cream or something. I don't know. Find a place. Meet them. Go do something. You know. Uh, yeah, get some barbecue. Uh, build, a, build, build a relationship with somebody not like you or somebody you normally would not. Like you would not normally build a relationship. And go up to them and say, man, look, with everything that's going on in this world, would you help me understand what it's like from your perspective? And don't try to let them understand anything about you. You just learn about them. The second thing we want you to do is speak love and follow through with action. Speak love. Speak love. And so when we look at these things and how we, where do we go from here, the next step for healing, the next step for our church is to seek a conversation with somebody not like us to create conversation of continuing dialogue. That's not one and done. You know, that didn't meet somebody down at their water cooler and say, what's your thoughts on this? And then you come back and say, boy, I did that. No, create a conversation of continuing dialogue that will build trusting relationships. Create a conversation of continuing dialogue that will build a trusting relationship with somebody that doesn't trust you. Maybe just because of the color of your skin, they don't trust you. Have a dialogue that doesn't back off. Now that's a hard one. What did Ashley answer earlier? Why don't people have these conversations? Because we have to be transparent. And number two, because they haven't ended well. And they haven't ended well because everybody's been trying to make the other person understand them. And they've not been seeking to understand the other person. But if your dialogue doesn't back off, that doesn't mean your dialogue doesn't need a timeout. Because there's times we can get into some discussions amongst ourselves right here on this stage. And we'll be like, whoop, I got to go get some water. I got to, you know, it may be a week before we come back to it. But we're coming back because I want to understand what makes my family tick. And my family is not just those who live at 4807 Wendover. And create that conversation that loves each other enough not to back off. To say, man, I'm struggling with that, but I need a time out. Can we come back and talk about that later? I really and truly want to understand it. And then to find somebody, God help us, for the next year, especially through this crazy presidential election, find you somebody that thinks differently than you. You remember at the beginning I asked you something? I said, how many of you know Van Jones? I quoted Van Jones in a staff meeting yesterday, and they like fell out. A pastor just quoted Van Jones. What in the world happened to him? Lord, miracles do happen. And so if Van Jones and Newt Gingrich can come together to try to forge forward something of, 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 of wholesome, healthy things that will leave a mark. Find somebody that, that, and here's what they said when I was listening to them. We found out we have more things in common than we have.
you know what? That's where you will be when you start having dialogues with people who think differently than you, have a whole different perspective. And I know, I mean, if you're a Republican, you're thinking, I can't talk to a Democrat. Or if you're a Democrat, you can't talk to them. Get past all that. Say, help me understand why you believe that. Help me understand really and truly what makes you true. Find somebody that views the world different politically, racially, and their whole worldview is different. And as a community, a believer, let's take all of that and come together for the glory of God. Hey, here's the cool part. You don't even have to leave this building. And you can find, you don't have to go find a stranger at work. You can find people right here in this faith family that live so differently than you. And that's why we're having this conversation today. So that we don't retreat back to our cultural holes that we've been in for a long time. And that we don't lose. This guy on the video that we didn't show you, he said, I'm fearful today that this has set us back 50 years, is what he said. And I'm telling you today that I won't settle for that. We're going to lead a charge in Alexandria through Family of Grace Church with people who are not like us. We don't, look, at Family of Grace, we have five essentials. That's all you have to agree on. And there's love everywhere else so that we can move forward for the glory of God. And so out of that, I think we need to figure out how do we create a way that we can show the community the love of Christ. To show the community that there's power in diversity. That there's power in being multidimensional. Show the community. Show the community. Show the community. Show the community. Do you think our community needs an example? Well, it's high time. We have that opportunity. We have that opportunity. This is why we're having these conversations. So that all this progress that we've made at Family of Grace is not torn apart. Amen? Let's praise the Lord. Amen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir, go uh, ahead. One, one, one last thing. I almost forgot this. Terrence, step up right quick, please. Uh, Terrence, Terrence uh, went into, no, stay on stage. I know you're tall. Uh, Terrence went to camp this week uh, as a loving but lost child. And uh, I was happy to say Tuesday night, which was what, July, July 5th? Was that 5th? July, it's that makes sense. July 5th, 2016, Terrence accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so, the reason why I'm telling y'all that is because now when y'all see him doing wrong on social media, you have a, a reason to call him out. So, that's the type of youth group we got. So, good to keep it that way. And so, um, I guess, that's, is there anything else? And so, these kids, and like I said, the other kids, um, next Sunday, we'll start uh, getting ready for Camp Payo which is our missions camp at the South Campus. Um, if you feel like you want to help with that, with meals or just coming to hang out and loving those kids, it'll be all day Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. Not this week, but the following week, I'm sorry. And so um, if you want if something you're interested in, come see us. Come see me Ash, me or Ashley. We'd love to have you. Lord knows you're going to be hot and we're going to need some help. So, uh, Father, thank you so much, God, for our, um, God, for our youth, um, for those the girls, the young ladies who went to um, kids camp last week. Uh, thank you for our church. I'm our big, huge, motley crew of people, God. We're all over the place. But, God, we love you, and that's all that matters. And so we're so thankful for that. Um, we're so thankful for everything you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, God. You're truly amazing. We have no idea why you love us, but you love us. And so we're so thankful. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.